Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Father, we honor you. We thank you for drawing us together unto yourself today. Thank you for the gathering of your people. Thank you because it's unto you shall the gathering of your people be. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Spirit of life, we ask that you breathe upon us afresh today. Take us higher in you. Let the name of Jesus be glorified. Father, we honor and we adore you. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. Good morning again, everybody. Um, today, by the grace of God, we are starting a new series titled Breaking the Ice. Breaking the Ice. And today, our, our job really is to lay a foundation for this um, new series. And it's a four-part four series. So next week, we'll deep, dig deeper. And um, the following week, I will conclude in the fourth week um, on breaking the ice. Breaking the ice. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, I'm going to read from verse uh, 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I read from the New Living Translation, of course. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus was speaking to us, to his disciples, direct disciples, I mean, the first disciples, and, and by extension to us, and he's saying, he said to us, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. That was the standing, the matching orders that he gave us, rather, when he was living, physically living the earth. But you see, many of us as believers, we have these instructions from Jesus, and we are uh, frozen. <laughs> you know, Jesus say, says, go, and we, we, we are stuck. Jesus says, go and make disciples, and we go, we really go, we go to our jobs, we go to our homes, we go to, to our cars, we go to, um, for, for, to so many places, but we really don't go as Jesus instructed us to go. And, and, and for some people, you know, when they read this passage of scripture, they, they, they can't see Jesus giving them an instruction. They're like, Jesus cannot be telling me to go and make disciples. I have come to church so that I can get my breakthrough. I have come to church so that I can get me a good husband, I can get me a beautiful wife, I can get me a new car, or I can get that financial breakthrough, I can get that promotion I want. How can Jesus be telling me to go and make disciples when I have my problems? President of the Lord. 
So, so we, we, so this group of people um, see church as a uh, a solution center. Church is more than a solution center. Praise the name of God. It is, but much more. So, and, and we, and we, and we, 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 we want God to just sort us out. Jesus can't be talking to us. I have good news for you. Jesus is talking to you. Praise the name of the Lord. He's saying to you, go and make disciples. There is another category of people, those that have embraced this thing, they know Jesus is, is, is speaking to them and he's saying, go and make disciples. But they have no clue. How am I going to do it? I have good news for you. Beginning from Today, as we delve into this season, you will see how effortless it is to evangelize. Praise the name of the Lord. And there's a third category of people, people that are going already. They are already evangelizing. By the time you finish experiencing this series, you will go further faster and you will be more effective in Jesus' name. God has called us to fulfill a purpose. Everybody has a destiny to fulfill. Everybody here has a destiny to fulfill. But you see, the ultimate purpose of your destiny, not everybody is called to be a pastor, not everybody is called to be an evangelist, not everybody is called to be a prophet, not everybody is called to be a teacher. Some people are called to be professionals, some people are called to be politicians, some people are called to be business people, some people are called to be homekeepers, some people are, are called to be um, industry leaders and all that stuff. But the greatest, the highest purpose of your calling is to lead people to God. You can write that down. The highest purpose of my calling, whether I have been called to, to, to work in this organization or in that organization or to lead this business or to, or I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a teacher or I'm your, the ultimate, or I'm a father, just to shepherd my children. The ultimate purpose of your calling is to lead people to God. Is to connect people to Christ. And if that's the ultimate purpose of my calling, that means the, 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 this, this, this level, this business that God has given me, this promotion that God has given me, this, 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 whatever it is that God has given you, or God is leading you into, the ultimate purpose is to lead people to God. Help people find God. Connect people to Christ. The stakes are too high. The implications are eternal. You may only be one conversation away from connecting somebody to Jesus. Only one conversation away. And if that conversation does not happen, the stakes are eternal. The person is faced with eternity Without God, the stakes are high. So you have to break the ice. Praise the Lord. Say to your neighbor, you have to break the ice. You have to break the ice. And God was the, is, the, is the first icebreaker ever. God, 
if you, if you know the story, in the Garden of Eden, um, Adam and Eve, um, they, they sinned. They did what God told them not to do. God came and covered them, and God promised, I'm going to give a seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent and give a prophetic word, as it were, about the coming of Jesus. And between then and all those years, there was silence. There were a lot of attempts to find God. There was a man called Abraham. God picked him up and God said to Abraham, I'm going to raise a family from you. I'm going to raise a nation from you. They're going to be the father of nations and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And God raised the nation of Israel. Praise the name of the Lord. God raised the nation of Israel. They were prophets. And there was this book called the Old Testament. Everyone said the Old Testament. Now, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was this year is called the Dark Years. 400 years. Or thereabouts, if I get my theology right. Of silence. Then God broke the ice. Jesus came to the world. Praise the name of the Lord. The angels announced, I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born today a savior. Praise the name of Jesus. So, so God is the master ice breaker. God initiated this whole thing. You know, I, I've read a couple of posts on, on Facebook, a couple of them, and they all sounded alike one way or the other. And I would just kind of paraphrase the, 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 the quote and uh, the, the, the statement. And, and the statement is, is this. Uh, these people were, are saying, I've read about two or three of, of such statements. They're saying, can't the devil just swallow his pride and beg God for forgiveness so that all this trouble will end? <laughs> and, you know, when I read it, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Doesn't that make sense? But you see, the truth is, logic doesn't always explain God. Praise the name of the Lord. In fact, many times, logic is far from God. Let me explain this. You know, why the, you know why the enemy, Satan, cannot, even if he decides to be humble, cannot come and beg God? Do you know why? Because God always initiates reconciliation when he wants to. Do you know why Satan hates you so much and hates me so much? Because Satan sinned. God did not initiate reconciliation. Man sinned. God came and died for man. And initiated reconciliation. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> Jesus is the solution, is the answer that God gave for man. When Satan sinned, God didn't do anything. God just said, okay, you can go, I'll deal with you. When man sinned, God said, I love you so much. I'm going to come and I'm going to die for you. Nobody can come to God except he draws. So, Satan cannot just wake up and say, oh, I want to repent. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Praise the name of the Lord. God always initiates. Everyone say, God always initiates. So, God has this big idea 
and sent Jesus to die. To come and, of course, live and die. And Jesus came and initiated the church. Jesus initiated the church. The church was a movement, a grassroots movement, started by Jesus, a Jewish carpenter. And when the church started, the, the church was known as the way. So the people that are, that are known as Christians today, they were called the followers of the way. The people of the way. Jesus was an enigma, if you will. He was so, they couldn't understand him. His family thought he was crazy. The religious leader said he was possessed. President of the Lord. After three years, Jesus was handed over to Pilate. Pilate was the, like, the, the, the governor at the time. Pilate said to Jesus, they said, you are the king of the Jews. Do you know what Jesus said? You are on point. That's what he said. You have said it. And the, the, the elders accusing Jesus, accusing Jesus, accusing Jesus, and Jesus didn't say a word. And Pilate was like, you know, you know why Jesus didn't say a word? He had said all he needed to say to the Pharisees. He had nothing else to say to them. And Pilate came, and Pilate was like, don't you get it? These people are accusing you. You are not saying a word. Don't you know I can set you free, and I can decide to crucify you? And Jesus said, oh, God, God, me you cannot kill me if it was not given to you from above. No, no, listen. I want to say to you today, your life is not in anybody's hands. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> say my life. <laughs> it's not in anybody's hands. <laughs> Jesus said to Pilate, oh God, 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 stop. There is nothing you can do to me except heaven permits you. So all the harassment you are getting, all the fear that the enemy is throwing into your heart, you can tell the enemy to go to hell. Your life is in God's hands. My life, say it again, my life is in God's hands. So they, they took Jesus and they humiliated him. They spat on his face and they killed him. And they said, look at the one that said he will raise the temple in three days. Come down and save yourself. And there was silence. And the disciples were afraid. Everybody went to hide. And the Jews said, this man, this, 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 this crazy guy, said he will rise again on the third day. Please deploy armies. Just give us a band of soldiers. Let them guard the grave so that his disciples don't come and steal him at night. And the first error will be, the last error will be, mother, will be greater than the first error. So they gave them a band of, of soldiers. But on the third day, the Bible says that Jesus rose up from the dead. The angels rolled away the stones. The soldiers fainted like dead. And Jesus walked out of the grave free. Now, now, think about it. Think about it. Jesus just like a lot of drama. He had defeated death. He went to the grave. He 
took the powers and the keys of hell. Jesus could have walked out of that tomb without any stone rolling. He could have just walked. When he came to he walked, he could walk through the, the wall, right? He could have just walked through the wall and, and go, why did he have to roll away the stone? Everybody say, Ephesi. <laughs> you see? <laughs> let, let me harass these people a little bit. So he rolled the stone. Brrr, and he, they were afraid. And he walked out. Of the, he did need to do that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but he did this anyway. And Jesus walked out alive, resurrected. And God again demonstrated to us and to the people of the world that there is nothing you can do against the counsel of God. The counsel of God will stand. Praise the name of the Lord. Good news for you again. Regardless of the pressure to keep you bound, you will resurrect on the third day. You see, this Easter season, I want you to just open your heart to God. You will come out of any pressure. Jesus resurrected. And God demonstrated again, I am God by myself. And my counsel will stand. And the church was initiated. And the church for the first 300 years of the existence of the church, the early church, the church faced heavy persecution. Heavy persecution. But the question is, today, where are all the empires that persecuted the church? They are all gone. But the church is still standing. Praise the name of Allah. Jesus preached for three years. Just three years. And today, as we speak, in every continent on earth, every people are worshipping him and they are lifting up the name of Jesus. That's phenomenal. A lot of these emperors ruled for decades. Jesus preached for three years. Now, God is saying to us clearly, I am in control. I am in control. While they didn't understand Jesus the question the Pharisees asked, the question Nicodemus asked, the question the woman at the well asked was, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? The disciples also asked the question. Jesus was sleeping in the boat. They were experiencing a storm. The storm came and Jesus walked on the storm. Jesus spoke to the storm rather and the storm was still. And the disciples said, who is this guy? What manner of man is this? And Jesus he, he, he took the bull by the horn, if you will, and was going to answer this question. Eventually, Jesus decided to deal with the issue directly. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, 13 to 18. Now, I'm telling you, I'm, 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 I'm telling you this story. I'm building this foundation because you need to understand this story. That is the foundation for effective, if you will, <laughs> witnessing. Praise the Lord. Matthew 16 from verse 13, it says, when Jesus came 
to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Everybody say the Messiah. You are the Messiah, not a Messiah. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Praise the name of the Lord. The identity of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the foundation of the church. <laughs> President of the Lord. The identity as, of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is the foundation of this new entity because this was the first time you will hear the word church in the Bible. It was, it, was, it was going to be the foundation of this new entity called the church. Now, the Greek word translated church, the, in the original Greek, is, a lot of you know it, is the word ecclesia. Now, listen, follow me carefully. I will not throw a Greek word at you if it is not significant. <laughs> I think we have enough trying to understand the English words. So this is totally significant, totally significant. The Greek word originally is called what? Ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia. And it means simply a gathering or an assembly of people summoned for a particular purpose. A gathering, a congregation of people called out for a particular purpose. So, for instance, citizens that are called out and, and gathered together for civic response duties is, is an ecclesia. That word. In other words, house of rep, that assembly, national assembly, is a what? An ecclesia. When soldiers are called out to, um, to go to war and they are called out for that purpose, they become what? An ecclesia. So, ecclesia never referred to a specific place. It always referred to a specific gathering. Not a specific place. So, Jesus was saying, I am going to build my own assembly of people. And the foundation of this assembly will be me. I will be the most important person. In that assembly. And no power of hell will conquer that assembly. Jesus is saying, I will build my own assembly, congregation, gathering. And the most important person will be me. Jesus speaking. I will be the foundation of this assembly. I will be the most important person in this assembly. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am building a church, an assembly 
not a physical location, an assembly of people. And guess what? This assembly of people, I will always be there. Where two or three are gathered in my name. What did he say? There I am. So what makes the church unique is the presence of Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. The difference between the church, I've said it before, and, and, and it, it, God bless the work that Rotary Club is doing. But the difference between the church and Rotary Club is the presence of Jesus. The difference between the church and Sunshine Sisters is what? Is the presence of Jesus. Because when Jesus is present, anything can happen. The blind gets their sight, the lame walk, the barren conceive, the poor get promoted, the sinners get saved. The most and the most important person of that gathering is who? Is Jesus. You've heard me say it before time and time again. The most important person in God's favorite house is who? The only person that must be present in a service in God's favorite house is who? It's not the pastor. Pastor was not there last week Sunday, was he? Was, he, was service not powerful? <laughs> awesome. Praise the name of the Lord. He says, I will build my church. Assembly. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, about two years ago, I was in a conference. And there was this lady, a powerful lady. She was sharing an ex- experience that she went to Starbucks to get a drink. Starbucks is like a, a coffee house. And Starbucks didn't have a hot drink. So she, she was like, I'm in Starbucks and they don't have coffee. So she tweeted, I'm in Starbucks, I guess what? There's no coffee. And she said, somebody tweeted her back and said, oh, I went to McDonald's one day and they didn't have burger. And somebody else tweeted back and says, oh, I went to Dunkin' Donuts and they didn't have donuts. Let me bring it home. I went to Mr. Biggs and there's no meat pie. Does that begin to make sense? Or I went to Tasty Fried Chicken and they didn't have chicken. That's a misnomer. Praise the name of the Lord. The same way if you come to church and Jesus is not present. It's a misnomer. Unto him shall the gathering of his people be. Unto him. So when we do church and Jesus is not present, thank God for Jesus always present with us. Praise God. <laughs> but when we do church and Jesus is not present, then we are just wasting our time. Really, really wasting our time. So if Ecclesia never referred to a physical building, where do you get it from? The church. It's an assembly. It was an assembly. <laughs> it's a congregation. It's a community. The church is not an individual. 
You've heard it said before. People talk to individual Christians and say, you are the church. You are not the church. You are a part of the church. The same way your finger is not your body. Your, your finger is a part of the body. If, you have your, if, if somebody just brings a finger and says, this is a human being. It's strange. You as an individual, you are not the church. You are an important part of the church, but you are not the church. The church is an assembly. Praise the name of the Lord. So, if the Greek word means gathering, why didn't our English Bible just say gathering? That would have just changed a lot of things. Where did the word church come from? Now, we have given you big picture church history stuff here. Things that are so important for your faith. Where did the word church come from? Now, we said that in the first 300 years of the church, persecution was rampant. People were being killed for saying they are Christians. Every persecution from some guy, emperor called Trajan, you can call him Trojan if you will, to Nero, they were just very brutal. They were feeding Christians lions. But there came an emperor called Constantine. Everyone say Constantine. <laughs> say, say, let me hear you. Say Constantine. <laughs> Good. There came an emperor called Constantine. And they came up with this, what they call the Edict of Milan in February 313. This February makes it how many years? 2013, 313. Do the math. Pardon? 1,700 years. Exactly this year. February. They came up with an edict. Why? Because Christians are beginning to rise in power and they begin to influence policy. So they came up with this edict of Milan and the edict just simply said, freedom of religion. You are free to worship any God that you want to. And Christians said, whoa. So praise God. Isn't that a victory for the church? Right? Good. Then the shocker came. Constantine declared himself a Christian. He says he's now accepted Jesus as the Lord of his life. So he became a Christian. Now, when that happened, guess what happened to all his uh, governors and his... Everybody began to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. So Christianity became fashionable. Does that sound familiar? Christianity became fashionable. So the president would go to the church. Who born governor not to come? Do you understand? Now, they now turned, <laughs> just amazing, they now turned the shrines that have been lifted up to other gods into churches. From ch- the church that used to hide to meet. Now the state is giving churches buildings and saying, take this shrine, take that shrine, take this shrine, take that shrine. So the church became recognized. Everybody say recognized. But with that came ceremonies. 
processions. Regalia wearing, cassock, collar, carrying a pole which they turn into a cross. Now listen, all those things had nothing to do with the church. Nothing. Incense burning. Why? Because they needed to have like a middle ground. So, idol worship became a norm. Praise the name of the Lord. And the church now (laughs) had a major problem. Once the church was legalized, the movement, the church that started as a movement became frozen. It freezed out. What was once unpredictable became predictable. What was once unexplainable, these Christians, we don't even understand them. They're like the wind that blows became predictable. So the movement became an establishment. Say the word church today, what comes to people's mind? Building. Why? Because the movement has been frozen. Now, the German word, because the the Roman Empire was really wide. The the German word called Kirche, K-R-K-I-R-C-H-A became the word that the whole empire adopted for the church. Why? What's the meaning of Kirche? Kirche means a house, the house of the Lord. L, small letter, L, oral D. So it could mean the house of a demon god or the, the house of whatever god Whatever God. So, Kerche was adopted and from it we got church. I would say Kerche. Kerchurch. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Kirche. Okay. The German professor has told us that it's Kirche. I, kill is not cliche. And cliche eventually became church. So the word church is not a translation from the original Greek like all the other parts of the Bible. It is not a translation. It is a substitution of the original Greek. The word church is not a translation. It's a substitution. So, rather translating ecclesia, they substituted it with kirche. I hope I got that right. They substituted it with that. So, kirche, kirche. <laughs> but you guys know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> it's a location. Kirche is a location. Ecclesia is a purposeful gathering of God's people, regardless of the location. Huge difference. Huge difference. Ecclesia will make use of a building. But Ecclesia is not the building. Kirche is the building. Huge 
huge difference, huge difference. So ecclesia could, could for instance, the, when, when, when the first, when the early church started, they, they, they met in homes of people. So the homes of people became what? The church. Not Kiche church now, ecclesia church. We still use the term church, but the meaning, we are changing the meaning. Do you understand? Because it's come a long way for us to drop that word. We confuse people. The meaning. So the, the, the Jerusalem church, the early church, they will meet not only in houses, they will also meet in, te- in the temple. The, the church met in the temple. They, they had an arrangement with the priest. They, there's, a, there's a part of the temple called the Solomon's porch where the church will rent and maybe pay for, for a time. And that theologian says it can sit about 25 to 50,000 people. Stand, sorry, they don't sit too. The early church, they stand throughout service. So they do two services. So they have 100,000 people coming to church. So they will meet in the temple and they will meet in the homes. If they had hotels, they would have rented hotels. Someone said to me, oh, Pastor, why are we not a church? Why are we using a hotel? A hotel? I said, exactly. We are a church. We are an assembly of God's people. Totally different concept. You know why? You can lock the key, the key chain. You can lock it, but you cannot lock the church. You can burn down the key chain, <clears throat> but you cannot burn down the church. You can give permits, legal permits of operation to the key chain, but you cannot legislate the church. Because the church is the kingdom of heaven. It's a representation of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> you cannot. So all this one side to turn church into charities. It will not work. It won't. The church now became the tool of politicians to control the people. Why? Because the church ensured that the people were united and loyal to the political class. And that was a major problem. That was not the church of Jesus Christ. And, and we are seeing that pattern today. Are, are we not seeing that? We are seeing it. It's not new. No, it's not new. <laughs> so, Ecclesia became a movement. Stopped, rather, stopped being a movement and it became a location. And, and the shift in vocabulary signaled a dramatic shift in emphasis and direction. So what began as a movement dedicated to spreading the truth of Jesus Christ became inwardly focused, politically corrupt. Politically corrupt. While it is surprising... That the church survived the persecution in the first three hundred years of the church. It is more surprising that the church survived the institutionalization and the corruption of the subsequent centuries. It is more surprising. But guess what? It survived it. Why? Because Jesus promised, I will Build my 
church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the, the, the church has suffered so much battering. But keep moving forward. Kept moving forward. The church kept moving forward. So, the kirche of man could not confine the ecclesia of Jesus. In spite of institutionalizing the church, in spite of the corruption, God is raising assemblies of people that are breaking the highs, movements that are dedicated to promoting the truth of Jesus Christ. All over the world. God is raising movements of people that are not frozen. They are only committed to one thing. And that is the lordship and the propagation of Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm happy to announce to you, you are one of such assemblies today. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> God's favorite house, we are totally committed to the propagation and upholding that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my assembly, my congregation, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So Jesus has given us marching orders. He says, Go, God's favorite house. Go and win souls. The stakes are high. The implications are eternal. You are only a conversation away. Only a conversation away in many cases. From connecting somebody to Christ. So the question to you today is, who is that person that is close to you but far from God? Who is that person? Who are those people? That are close to you, but far from God. They are close to you. You know them. You meet them at work. You meet them in your houses. You, you, you meet them in the marketplace. They are close to you, but they are far from God. Who are they? Think about them. Who are they? Those are the people that Jesus has sent you to. And people usually have three reasons why they, they feel that they cannot evangelize. They, they say, I don't know enough scripture. Or apologetics. I don't, I don't know enough. But you see, the answer to that is, what set the early church apart was not the amount of scripture they knew. was the person of Jesus they knew. In fact, there was no Bible as it were. They just have parchment of, 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 of the Old Testament around there. What set the, 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 the early church apart was their experience of the person of Jesus they looked at Peter and, and, and the others and they, say, and they looked at them and they said, these guys are even, they are not learned. But they took note that they had been with who? With Jesus. With Jesus. Jesus asked the disciples, in the scripture we read, what do, who do you say that I am? That is the most important thing in evangelism. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Every Christian has a story. And that story, God can use it. 
I will explain how as we go on in the series. Second reason people usually give is I think I need to have an evangelistic personality. There are some Christians, they just have an evangelistic personality. Have you seen those kind of Christians before? <laughs> they seem to have, and I'm like, man, I'm not like that. That used to be a problem for me. Until Jesus sets me free. There's nothing like an evangelistic personality. There's nothing like an evangelistic. See, God is wise enough to make all of us different. It's wise enough not to make all of us the same. We are all different. God has given you a temperament, a personality. God will use that temperament to reach people around you. He's not trying to make you into somebody else. He's going to use that temperament. He's going to use me. Praise the Lord. As we go on this series, we're going to unpack that in more detail also. The truth is that the only personality that must be present is Jesus. Matthew 28, 20b. It says, and be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, go and evangelize. Don't worry, I will be there. Isn't that comforting? Regardless of my personality, Jesus will be there. We can't make people fall in love with, with Jesus, but we can set up a date. We can just introduce them and leave Jesus to do the rest. That is so liberating. It's not my, it's not my job to save souls. My job is to point to Jesus, and Jesus will take it from there. The third reason I usually give in is that it's too hard. I can't do it. In Matthew 28, verse 18, I'm just going to read because we've read it before. I'm just going to roll it out. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given, I have been given, rather, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and be sure of this. I am always with you, even to the end of the age. So true evangelism is to be tuned to and cooperate with the person of Jesus via the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's true evangelism. True evangelism is, I am attuned to Jesus in my relationships. Jesus says, give this lady this book. I give this lady the book. Jesus says, encourage her in this area. I encourage her in that area. Jesus says, it's time to ask them, if they really want to surrender to me. I ask them if they really want to surrender to Jesus. Jesus prompts me and says, keep quiet. You're talking too much. Guess what I do? Keep quiet. <laughs> I'm talking too much. True evangelism is following the promptings of Jesus. And he has said, it's his job. He will empower us. To do it. Think about it this way. Many of us want to hang out with people that we, um, if you are a footballer, you really like football, you probably want to hang out with, who would you want to hang out with, Messi or Ronaldo? <laughs> Come on, Ronaldo fans, who do you want to hang out with? 
<laughs> well, some will rather than some will rather than. If, if you really want to improve your game of tennis and you, you, you need to take somebody out to lunch, who would you want to take out to lunch? Fed, right? <laughs> Not Djokovic, are you sure? <laughs> if you're a business person and, 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 and they say that um, um, Bill Clinton was, no, not Bill Gates and Rick Warren, they're going to just going to be pastor's house. Would you not try and come? <laughs> you want to hang out with them. Right? And I can go on and on and on and on and on. Jesus says, hang out with me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me on Twitter. And I will make you fishers of men. Be my friend on Facebook. And I will make you. Have you, have you is in, is in um, that scripture, if you think I'm making it up, is in Matthew 4 19. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men, I will make you fishers of men. If you fall, so that's what we are going to do. Just doing this whole series, I'm just going to hang out with Jesus and let him unpack this whole thing. By the time he's done. Evangelism will be like as easy as breathing to us in Jesus' name. We'll be so infectious that we'll win the whole of Lekki for Jesus. And I mean that literally. <laughs> so, your assignment for next week. Think about three people that are close to you but far from God. If you can expand the list, do. But think about three. We're going to do something with them next week when we, when, when we come. Something very powerful. Think about three people that are close to me and far from God. We take that from there. If you're here, you're saying, wow, so this is what the church really is. I didn't know that this is the church. This is beautiful. I should be a part of this movement of Jesus. You're saying, I am here. I'm close to church. In fact, I am in church, but I am far from God. Jesus wants to start with you. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. I want to pray with you. You're saying, that is me, Pastor. And because this is a gathering unto Jesus, Jesus will come into your heart himself. You'll be shocked at how your life will change. He did it for me. He did it for a whole lot of us in this place. They're saying, Pastor, it's my turn. I want, I want to 
have a crystal clear walk with Jesus, please let's just focus on God at this time. And let's give us the benefit of this privacy time with God. That is me. Pastor, pray with me. Wherever you are, put up your hand now. I want to pray with you. In Jesus' name. And talk to God. I say, Jesus, come into my heart. I open the door of my heart to you. I open the door of my heart to you. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come in to my heart. Lord I'm still waiting for you. Pastor, I, I need to make this call myself. Put up that hand now. drawing everyone that has made this decision unto yourself. We know no one can come to you except you draw them. Thank you because they are accepted of you. Accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, you've heard their cry. We ask that you come and take your throne, your place in their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. As they've invited you to come into their lives, change their lives totally. Let today be the beginning of greatness. Greatness with God and greatness with men in every of these lives. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.